Welcome back to the third installment of the Mets Legends cast. We're happy to be here. The Mets, I don't think they actually exist, guys. Uh, <laughs> they've played five games so far. Some teams have played 10. Uh, it seems like everything that can happen to prevent the Mets from playing baseball will, uh, whether it's rain, whether it's a COVID outbreak from the other team, whether it's a meteor crashing into City Field. I feel like it doesn't matter what it is. The Mets don't – No one. The, the baseball gods don't want the Mets to play. But with that being said, we are the Mets Legends cast. I am joined, as always, by my wonderful co-host, Michael Rosen. And today we have a very special guest uh, in our graphic design guy, Michael Jennings. Uh, and us three, you know, we've had a real blast running this uh, this page together. We're really happy for Mike J to join us, so – Mike, uh, how's it going, man? Good. Pleasure to be here. Um, you know, stoked that I was able to see that that call for a graphic designer five minutes after you sent it. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, um, man. For, first come, first serve. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, no, but it's been it's been a ton of fun uh, digging into uh, this this Mets Legends thing. Yeah, absolutely, and. Um, you know, it's it's always nice to kind of talk about some some guys that we may have forgotten about or uh, guys that need some more recognition, and that's what we're trying to do. Um, with that being said, Mike R., how are you doing, man? I'm doing pretty well today. You know, can't complain much. Beautiful weather outside. Going to go Finally. get my first shot. <laughs> yeah, going to go get my first COVID shot in a few hours. So, uh, you know, good day. And I'm and, uh, getting to record this podcast as part of that. Very good, man. Yeah, I'm excited you're getting your your COVID shot. Um, nice first step there. Make sure you drink lots of Pedialyte. It saved my butt when I got my vaccine. So, Pedialyte, that's a good one. Oh, so good, man. <laughs> and you know what? It's also a tasty treat too. You know, a little a little Pedialyte on the rocks. <laughs> <laughs> so, guys, what's going on with Jed Lowry? I mean, he signed that two year deal with the Mets uh, before the 2019 season. Um, and the guy turned into Bigfoot once he came here. Mike R was saying that he actually saw him a- in a game in person in one of the seven total at bats that he took as a Met, which I, I can't believe. believe which yeah. I can't believe because I don't think Jed, I don't think Jed Lowry actually exists. So, Mike R, I mean, you've 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 uh, you're in some elite company there, pal. I mean, there's every opportunity that I was just hallucinating and just imagined it. I, I'm not gonna rule that out. Uh, yeah. But I'm, but assuming that what I did see was real, like I, I did see him in person with that number four going up to the plate, striking out on four pitches, I believe, uh, against the Phillies. So yeah, I think that was his first first of seven, like you said, at bats. But yeah, <laughs> I've and seen I've seen Jed Lowry bat. Not a lot of people can say that. As <laughs> Apparently, he walked in one of his and one in one of his plate appearances as a Met. I I don't. I don't even remember the guy taking any at bats. I, I don't know if it was just because it was like the last couple weeks of 2019. I don't know. Like maybe I just blocked it out. But like, you know, with that being said, I, I after reading this article that just came out about Jed Lowry talking about how like the Mets refused to let him get knee surgery, I like some I somewhat sympathize with the guy because it's not the first time that the that that would have happened with the Will Ponds. Like it. I don't understand their logic with things. It's like they're frustrated that a player of theirs is injured, but instead of like correcting it, 
they're just like, no, you're going to play through it. And they think that that's somehow going to work. It's like, if you just let the guy get knee surgery, like he might've at least played last year, you know, like, I mean, this was an issue that was, that was uh, something that, that plagued him for his two years with the Mets. Um, mm-hmm. So it's like, if he just got that corrected, he probably, he might've a even played in 2019 more, but B probably would have had a healthy 2020. I mean, clearly the guy can still play baseball. I mean, he's mm-hmm. batting third for the, for the A's in some games. Um, I mean, you know, he's 37 now. He, or he's turning 37. His birthday's actually coming up. So um, he's 37. We'll get a graphic for that. Of course we will. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it actually, it's, it's the same day. Uh, you know, Mike J, if you could find a picture of him in a Mets uniform, I will be, uh, I will be very impressed. But, hey, Google's uh, impressive. <laughs> so his birthday, I don't know how I know this, but his birthday is April 17th, which is uh, four days from now. It coincides with Gary Sheffield's 500th home run as a Met, same day. Yeah. So a little Mets legends tidbit for you there. But Jed Lowry signed with the A's where he had, uh, he had some, some, some solid campaigns. Um, and he's back and he's hitting. So it's just like, he totally would have been able to perform at like a decent clip if the Wilpons were just like, yeah, get the surgery. But I don't know, man. It's like the dysfunction is, is unreal. Uh, and it's like, I feel like even still, like we're still like, we have these like lingering effects of the Wilpons. Like even some of the stuff that like Luis Rojas says, I'm just like, this is so Mets. Like this is like, yeah. Like where he was talking about how they had like an exclusive forecast expert for, for the last couple of games. Oh my gosh! It's like what other, what other teams? Does, what other teams does this happen to? Yeah, it's as um, messy as it gets. as uh, yeah. as John Boy Media says. Oh my god, man, you're so right. So this is this is Jed Lowry's third stint with the Mets, and his his career trajectory is funny, man. He started off with the Red Sox in 2008. Then he went to the Astros. Then he went to the A's. Then he went to the Astros. Then he went to the A's. Then he went to the Mets. And now he's back with the A's. So it's just like, this guy's career is funny, man. But um, yeah. I'm happy for him, honestly. Like, you know, mm-hmm. I, I one of my friends from Metsmerize, Josh, covered the Brooklyn Cyclones in 2019. And Jed Lowry rehabbed there. And he said he was such a nice guy. And clearly, like... You know, Lowry unfairly gets criticized for for what happened, um, and I think it's it's natural for for that to happen. But like we said, uh, he alleges that the Mets refused to let him get surgery. But this would not have been the first time that that the Wilpons did something like that. There was that whole thing with Carlos Beltran, uh, mm-hmm. almost you know a decade and a half ago, where he had of that. secret knee surgery because they didn't or yeah. because they wanted him to to play through the injury. Um, they forced Pedro Martinez to to pitch hurt uh, to sell some tickets to like a September game. So Johan Santana, yeah. And it's just yeah. like it's, so. It's just like this system of dysfunction. Um, and, and I, you know, Lowry said he said I missed playing so much. It was very difficult. I would love to play two more years than perhaps work in the business. It's been my been my life for a long time, from Stanford to fourteen seasons in the majors. You know, the guy never. You know, he never was was he was a consummate professional. I mean, he had to go out there and, and tell people that he didn't know what was wrong with him. The Mets were saying they didn't know what was wrong with him, and they clearly did. Um, and mm-hmm. so, I don't blame the guy for for uh, being upset and for coming out with that. Um, obviously, you know, let bygones be bygones. 
to to a certain extent. Like, I, I, there's no excusing it, obviously. But the Mets have new ownership now with Steve Cohen. Hopefully, these things are not the case. And you know what? Shout out to Ray Ramirez because that guy got unfairly booed at City Field and Stadium. So Ray Ramirez, I'm sorry. Okay. I'll admit I booed him from my own couch a couple times. Yeah. I mean, I mean when it's when it when when there's so many injuries that are just like so freakish and like you have to think it's that there's something else at play. Totally. Um, and seeing Ray Ramirez like jog out to the field was just like super oh like like triggering just it was like, like watching the grim reaper come out to like clean <laughs> <his body. laughs> god for like a for like a rolled ankle you'd be like well this guy's well, missing six months <laughs> well this guy's legs getting amputated and he's never playing again yeah. so jeff wilpon uh, i hope you're having an awful day uh, ray, ray, ray ramirez i hope you're having a great day uh you know, another Mets, another former Met that's doing pretty well this season to start off with is Wilson Ramos. And uh, I also just learned, well, I didn't just learn, I knew this, but his middle name is Abraham, not Abraham, Abraham, Wilson Abraham Ramos. Yeah. Uh, so I thought that was interesting. Uh, and uh, he's on the Tigers now and he's slimmed down a lot. He looks great. Mm-hmm. And he's he's playing pretty well. He has four home runs, which is more than the entire Mets roster. <laughs> All, albeit, the Mets have played five games. Um, it doesn't even feel like spring training has really ended yet. But Wilson Ramos, four home runs. Um, he's one shy of what he had all of last year, given it was a shortened season. But, um, you know, Wilson Ramos looking good for the, for the Tigers. So, you know, I feel like it, it makes me so bummed out to see, like, these guys that were on the Mets and now are like good on other teams. It just like, it's like when you, it's like when you, I don't know. It's like when someone breaks up with you. Right. And you like feel miserable about yourself, but then like, you're like, no, like I'm going to take this and become positive and I'm going to get super hot and they're going to regret ever breaking up with me. Right. And you have like this amazing glow up. And, uh, and I feel like that's like what happens like when Mets players have left the team in the Wilpon era. Like mm-hmm. I just picked up Rafael Montero on my fantasy team in the year 2021. He's the closer for the Mariners. He's the I closer for the Mariners. Oh. Yeah. It's just like, it's like Montero always had the stuff and it's just like, he, yeah. just, he just, the Mets didn't use him properly. I mean, I feel like his, his future was always as a reliever, but, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um, you know, that's that's a bummer. Chris Flexen had like a really amazing outing for the for the Mariners in his first start. I Travis think, Garneau uh, is a peak catcher. Go ahead, Mike. I was just gonna say Justin Turner is like the the pinnacle of that. Yeah, I mean, he was like oh, this yeah. like utility infielder with the Mets. Yeah, DFA. He goes to Los Angeles. Yeah. yeah, he goes to Los Angeles and he's like an all star. He's like a key yeah. part of like this team that's been to the World Series three of the last four years. And I, you know, I don't, I don't like to criticize Sandy's first, first turnaround, like first turn as Mets general manager, because I, overall, like with, with like his restrictions from the front office, I think he did an amazing job as the Mets general manager. He took them to the World Series in 2015 on like a small market team budget. I mean, you look at the, that team and like, they had David Wright's contract, obviously, and then Cespedes. But, like, a lot of those guys were just young guys and players that, like, weren't making, like, a crazy amount of money. You had Granderson, yes. But even still, like, he was making a really fair salary for uh, 
where he was at in his career and for the production he put up. Mm-hmm. But, you know, you had so many young guys. Harvey, you know, was still early on in his career. He wasn't making a ton. DeGrom was in his second year. Syndergaard and Matt were rookies. So you had a lot of, like, low-paid guys in that team. And it just goes to show, like, how well, like, Alderson, A, drafted it, but B, made, like, some savvy moves. Obviously, the Justin Turner one is kind of inexcusable yeah. because even if, like, <laughs> even if he, like, didn't turn into a star, it was, like, there was no reason for him to be non-tendered back then. Like, he was still a good, like, serviceable player on the team. Like, he wasn't mm-hmm. bad. And then they tried to smear him on the way out saying that he didn't, like, hustle. And It's like the guy clearly had uh, a, a lot of love for the team. I mean, he would he would shaving cream pie, like, like guys yeah. in the face whenever mm-hmm. there was walk-offs. He lo- I think he loved being a Met, and I think that that really made him hate the Mets after he got non-tendered and then went on to be a star, but... Um, yeah, Turner was like that guy who he was one of like the misses of the Sandy Alderson era, and like that shouldn't have happened. Like that, along with the Angel Pagan trade, like Angel Pagan getting traded in twenty like in the twenty eleven twenty twelve off season, um, was of such a bad move because even in twenty ten he was um, he led the Mets in wins above replacement that year. He was really good. Uh, you know, we just posted a video of him hitting that inside the park home run on Mets Legends yeah. last night in two thousand nine, but. Pagan was a, was a really solid outfielder, and um, we got Andres Torres back for him and Ramon Ramirez, and it was like, I guess I get it. Like you're trying to you're trying to get that same production out of Torres, and then hoping that Ramon Ramirez gives you like the extra boost. But that offseason was rough, man. It was like they signed mm-hmm. Frank Francisco, John Rouse, and then made that trade all in the span of like 24 hours, and it was just like they all were just miserable signings. Um, yeah. But well, yeah. I, I would say that was probably like the lowest valley of my Mets fandom. Yeah, was absolutely. like that that era of time between mm-hmm. like because it was it was like post post early two thousands like from you know the even starting in like oh four and oh five the team started to get good and then oh six oh seven they were actually really good mm-hmm. except you know we yeah. all know what happened. Um, <laughs> And then, like, the years immediately following, it was just, I mean, just depression after depression Awful. of, like, you know, David Wright's starting to get hurt, and, you know, Jose Reyes goes and, you know, signs this monster free agent deal, and, you know, those were the cornerstones of the franchise, and they just didn't get better until things just magically clicked again in 2015. I think that was definitely like my one of my low points as a Mets fan was when Jose Reyes uh, signed with the Marlins and like the, the fact that yeah. like the like coming off like like coming off such an amazing 2011 season and the Mets not even offering him a deal like you're one of your homegrown stars yeah and you're not even going to offer him a deal yeah. um, just so bad mm-hmm. and this is such a little thing but I'm such like a I'm such like a huge uniform nerd but I like absolutely hated the Mets uniforms in like 2010 2011 not that they were like much different than like the teams that were good in like the like the 2000s but like I don't I don't know like I the got plain so, white yeah Is that I, got, we didn't like? I got so sick of like the like the the snow white jerseys with mm-hmm. the black backdrop it just looked so ugly and like yeah. I I like the snow white jerseys because they wore them and I think like the following seasons after they rebranded their uniform a little bit and they ditched the black backdrop on like the lettering. 
Um, yeah. So I liked them when they were like actually like kind of clean. Um, but I don't know. It was like they had like those like ugly helmets too, where it was like the yeah. black on the back with <laughs> mm-hmm. the blue fading into them. Um, yeah, was, oh, those were hideous. <laughs> yeah, and they were just like they were so unenjoyable to watch. It was like it was like we had Mike Hessman and Val Pescucci. Like both like Crash Davises in their own respect, like playing. Mike Hessman is a true legend. Mike Hessman literally is a true legend, and also like like literal Crash Davis. Like, I know, I know. Four hundred mm-hmm. home runs in the minors. Uh, I watched. I watched a lot of that um, yeah. as a kid. I grew up in Toledo, where mm-hmm. he played for the Mudhens mm-hmm. for like most of his career. Nice. Um, and so. You know, growing up, it was it was nice to have that local legend that's like, OK, you know, whenever you go to the ballpark, you're going to see Crash Davis, a.k.a. Mike Hessman hit a bomb. Yeah, that's um, pretty cool, man. My, that's why minor yeah. league baseball is really cool. I feel like like I, I, I wish that there was like a local yeah, uh, like minor league team by me. Uh, I know, Mike, you have the Long Island Ducks not too far from you. Yes, they're uh, they're independently, but you know you still get a lot of like I I, I I think by no coincidence you see a lot of former Mets out there. Like I know yeah. within the last few years, like John Neese has been out there, Dylan G, Josh Tolley. That's like the that's like the Mets legends like retirement. Jordani <laughs> yeah. bro. I think he was an yeah. yeah. island duck. I we should we should have like a we should do like a duck watch of like Mets legends that end up on the Ducks. That's a great idea. That might be a good article for for the blog when we launch it. Like just like yeah, former, former yeah. Mets that went on to play for the Ducks. I know Ty Kelly. I think just signed with the Ducks or just got traded mm-hmm. to the Ducks. Um, yeah, and uh, he's he's definitely a legend too. Um, you know, guys, speaking of legends, <laughs> speaking of, speaking of legends, a guy that I want to talk about today is Ku Dai Sung. And I think the he's he is amazing, man. Uh, this guy played forever. Um, so he uh, started out his his professional career in um, in Korea in '93. Uh, played for the Hanwha Eagles from '93 to 2000. Then he played for the Oryx Blue Wave of Nippon Professional Baseball from 2001 to 2004, and that's the former team that Ichiro played before he was on the Mariners. Um, obviously, he played 2001 to 2004, so he just missed playing with Ichiro. But 2005, he uh, the Mets signed him, and when the Mets signed him, uh, he was 35 already. Uh, so he made his major league debut 35 years, 245 days uh, into his life um, against the Cincinnati Reds, and he had a pretty good de- uh, outing out of the bullpen. He pitched one inning, he struck out two, and that was that. Um, and Kudai Sung, his major league career lasted four months. So he debuted in April. His last game was August 20th. He ended up getting hurt um, on the play that I'm about to mention. Um, but he was great, man. I mean, he was just like – so we were talking a little bit about it earlier, but John Boys, um, who – works for SB nation, not to be confused with John boy, John boys, uh, does like really cool, um, like quirky videos for SB nation. He has a whole series. He did like a, like a six hour, um, series on the Seattle Mariners franchise, which was incredible. Uh, he did like a really great video on Lonnie Smith. 
uh, one of my favorites is like he does like a video. It's called the dumbest the dumbest boy alive, and it's like it's like him talking about this thread on this like fitness site about people arguing over like how many days there are in a week where it's like it's like they're like saying that like i don't know exactly how it happened but they're talking about how like you work out every other day and they were saying like you can't do that in like a week without like it overlapping and uh it's just really funny i love that video but he does one on, on Kud Dai Sung, and it's about when he nearly took Randy Johnson deep in a uh, in an interleague game. So he actually, according to Baseball Reference, with that one hit and then coming out to score, he logged point one wins above replacement from uh, at the plate. Yes. <laughs> so, Positive war player. More than Jed Lowry. <laughs> literally more than Jed Lowry. <laughs> so he had two plate appearances as a Matt. And I believe that they might have just been in his professional career regardless. Because I don't know if, how much he really hit um, when he was in Korea and Japan. But I believe that like he only had uh, he only had those two appearances. And then it says that he had one plate appearance in the minors that year in 2005, probably when he was on rehab. And he uh, he did not get a hit but his first at bat when he was a met uh he struck out and uh did the looked like awful at the plate you know like very like bartolo cologne esque um and then like he he came to play his next at bat and it's funny because like as john boys talks about in the in the video um like the announcers on that call were saying that this was like going to be like the biggest give up, like giveaway at bat of, of like the year. And like, before they're even done saying that you hear like the crack of the bat. So it's like, they weren't even done with the sentence and he lifts this ball nearly hits a home run to center field and legs out a double. And it's like, so sick. It's just like, I remember watching it on TV too. And we we're just mm-hmm. like, my grandpa rest rest his soul, but he. I remember uh, we saw Ku's first at bat when he just looked awful at the plate and like struck out, and um, you know, so we didn't think anything of this at bat. And then he steps to the plate and like rocks this this double to mm-hmm. center field. Yeah. It was it was so sick. And, he, um, um, he he he. It came off of Randy Johnson, who granted his time with the Yankees was certainly not peak Randy Johnson, but Randy Johnson, who was known for being especially tough on left-handed batters. Like I think in 1999, yeah. he only allowed like nine hits to lefties all year. So mm-hmm. for so you know for a guy who doesn't have a lot of batting experience to get a double in general like that is great to do it off Randy Johnson. One of the hardest guys to hit as a lefty just adds to it. Yeah, also, also a guy that's able to explode birds with his with his pitches. <laughs> I use uh, that gift more often than you'd think. It's a great gift, man. I mean, just like you have to think about how like perfect that had, like that had to have been, like the timing, like that's inc- insane that that happened. Um, so we're we're coming up on like the 16 year anniversary of that coup hit, and it's just such a great like video, like like. That was like when the Mets were like starting to become okay again. Like they 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 finished four games above five hundred that year. You had a lot of the pieces that you were going to have for the two thousand six team. You had Beltron and Martinez and Wright and um, Reyes and and a lot of those guys. 
and David Wright just goes nuts when this when when Koo hits this ball. Like you can hear the audio of him. Like he's cheering so loud, but he's like hysterical laughing as well. Like it just like it, it like makes me so nostalgic. To, like because like David Wright when he was so young like that, it was like just like the energy and like like having that homegrown star was like so great. But so he crushes this double off Randy Johnson. Uh, and then he scores from second base on a bunt from Jose Reyes. So Reyes drops on a bunt. Who's chugging to third and no one's covering home. Uh, and so he runs and like Posada, Jorge Posada catching for the Yankees that day, like is able to get back to the plate and dives and like tags Koo and it's like bang, bang. So, I mean, Koo might've been out, but like, it doesn't matter. He's safe. There's no replay back then. Everyone's in ballistics in the in the in the in the, in the crowd, um, and it's just awesome. You know, Koo, uh, Koo just like had this awesome day, and then um, he actually though hurt himself on that play, which is which is the disappointing part. So when he got to second, he put on a Mets windbreaker, and apparently the ball a ball was in the pocket of it. And I don't know if he didn't notice or if he just didn't want to take it out. But when he slid into home plate, he slid head first. And I think the ball, like, hurt him. And so his season was cut short. Um, he pitched for a couple more months, and then he was out in August 20th. And then he never pitched again. Um, but it kind of set the tone for that game. The Mets beat the Yankees 7-1 to one and actually had a better – with that win, they had a better record than the Yankees that, at that point in the season. So they were 23-20, and 20, and the Yankees were 22-21. and 21. Um, Former Met legend Ray Sanchez, who had gotten a haircut in the middle of the game uh, a couple <laughs> years prior, uh, came in as defense for Derek Jeter later in the game. Uh, Robbie Cano was in the lineup for the, for the Yankees that day, batting, uh, batting eighth. That was his rookie year, I believe, 2005. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the Mets lineup, you had a, it was packed with the Mets legends that day. You had Miguel Cairo, uh, oh. who I tried to post about, but like finding a picture of him was so hard uh, <laughs> as a Met. So you had Miguel, Miguel Cairo started at first base that day. Um, then you had Chris Woodward, who played left field. Uh, <laughs> Uh, you had Chris Benson started that game. Uh, Dai Sung came in later in the game. Roberto Hernandez, who was part of that infamous Oliver Perez trade the next year in his second mm-hmm. stint as a Met, would pitched. Eric Valent pinch hit, and Braden Looper closed the game out. So a ton wow. of Mets legends there. Uh, Randy Johnson got tagged for four runs on 12 hits. Um, so he had a bad game. Um, Chris Benson pitched pretty good. He went six innings. It's pretty funny the Mets let Koo hit. I guess like they were up big enough at that point, but like Benson went six innings and then Koo came in as a reliever and still hit. So I don't know what the deal was with that. Um, and then Roberto Hernandez. I kind of feel like back then though, that happened a lot more often. Yeah. Yeah. You don't really see that too much anymore. Like we might never see a Mets reliever bat again. Like, especially yeah. like the extra innings rules now, like mm-hmm. with, with, with right. like, and the seven inning double headers, like you might not ever, cause you're not burning your bench out like the way that you used to. So like, yeah. like you're not going to have probably any like 16 inning games. So we might never see a Mets reliever hit again. Um, the only, the only situation I could imagine would be, like a deep extra innings game, you burned your bench and like, maybe there's an injury too, 
and like you give Degrom or Syndergaard a bat, but yeah, yeah, and it'll and even with that, like you said, it'll probably be like someone good. Like it'll probably be like yeah. someone who can somewhat hit. Like you're probably not going to see like Aaron Loop getting a plate appearance, no. or, or like <laughs> or like Jacob Barnes or something like that. Yeah, um, Trevor May has actually talked about it too. He like people keep asking him because he streams. People keep asking him like, "Hey, are you going to hit this year?" And he's like, "No, I'm not. I'm not going to hit. It's just not going to happen." <laughs> I mean, yeah, and also like you know, I, I've been a baseball purist for like my whole life, um, but like even I want the DH now. Like I remember like hearing mm-hmm. when like, like in spring training where it was like the Mets pitchers around the field getting bunting in. I was like, you know what, God, like we've moved, we've moved past this now. Like I agree. Yeah, I hate the extra innings rule. I hate the seven inning double headers. But like, gosh darn it, like give me give me Dom Smith and Pete Alonso in the same lineup every single day. Um, with decent defense <laughs> with decent defense you know it's like yeah. dom smith is a better first baseman than pete alonzo is like put yeah. dom smith at first base let alonzo dh put jacob uh put uh brandon nimmo in left field put conforto in right like and then even if you have albert amora play center like it's not ideal but like i'd rather that than than sticking dom in left field to be honest with you um but kudai anyway. song kudai song um was such an interesting guy. Like he, <laughs> I haven't seen the video in a while, but like, I remember like John boys talking about how, like he would just like hide behind, like there was like an instance where like he hid behind like a pile of laundry in the Mets locker room, <laughs> like for no reason. Like it, like he wasn't even like jumping out <laughs> and scaring people. Like he was just like hiding behind a pile of laundry and kind of just like chilling there for a bit. Uh, so this dude was, he was funny, man. And so uh, Kudai Sung, he in recent years has uh, coached, which is pretty cool. Um, he's 51 now. Uh, and he, after the Mets, he went back and he played with the Hanwha Eagles again uh, for four years. And then he played for the Sydney Blue Sox in Australia until 2015. So even wow. after that, wow. like, like this dude played – until he was like Julio Franco's age, he was like the Julio Franco of pitchers. Wow! Um, and then he he coached in Sydney for a couple years after that, and he's been the manager of a Korean baseball. Uh, oh, sorry, they're actually in the Australian Baseball League um, since 2018. Nice. Uh, so uh, yeah, so he's he's great. I really love Kudai Sung. Um, <laughs> And can't I, can't tell his story enough. I mean, people need to know the legend that was Kudai Song. Hundred percent, hundred percent. You know, and I know the Mets haven't had a lot of success with like international players, at least from like the Asia region. Like, mm-hmm. you know, you've had your Kaz Matsui's, you've had your Ryota Igarashi's. You did have Hisanori Takahashi, who pitched pretty well for the Mets. He was pretty good. Um, there was um, Ken Takahashi the year before him. Yeah, I don't. I don't remember much remember about him. Ken. I, I remember. <laughs> Ken, I remember Ken Takahashi. I don't remember much about him, but I do remember him. Um, so you know, you, you you haven't had a ton of success, but I mean, Kuda Sung, he was fun, man, and I wish that he got to bask in the glory that was the 06 Mets. But uh, just too. just for the fact that he's a baseball lifer makes me really happy, and the fact that he's still he's still chugging along strong is is great. And I implore everyone listening to watch the John Boys video and to see Kuda Sung hit that ball against Randy Johnson. <laughs> Incredible. But, but moving on from that, Mike J, I'm going to, I'm going to, uh, I'm going to hand it off to you. I, I know that you've wanted to talk about some, uh, some exciting yeah. things that you've been reading. 
Yeah, so I, I heard on, uh, I think it might have even been opening day, but, you know, obviously listening to Gary, Keith, and Ron in the booth, um, you know, talking about how how they spent their off seasons and everything. And one of the things that Gary brought up was a couple of books, and I started reading one of them. Uh, this one's by Devin Gordon. He's a um, He's like a longtime journalist. Uh, I think he's currently with The Atlantic, but uh, it's called So Many Ways to Lose. Um, it's about being a Mets fan and uh, and sort of what, what that's meant to him. Um, and basically telling the whole story of the, of the Mets. Um, I've only just started it. I'm only on like chapter four. But the first three chapters are absolutely hilarious, first of all. Like he, takes, <laughs> he just takes like a really funny view of it. Um, like when I knew I was going to really like the book, I have a, uh, a passage right here. It says, the mental state of your standard issue Mets fan is to be simultaneously certain of humiliating defeat and pretty darn sure there's a miracle brewing. It's yeah. not <laughs> bracing for the worst exactly. It's bracing for something, something awful, surely, but maybe not. <laughs> yeah. You know, I think that's a great, that's like, a, like really sums up being a Mets fan. Like it's like, mm-hmm. yeah. it's like even like, it's like, we never can tell like what it like. It's, it's always this, like this, like, optimism that comes with like a new season where it's like you have this like fresh feeling of like you know you get to see the Mets like crisp pinstripes on the field like you have like all of like the players that you envisioned in the lineup and the Mets normally do really good on opening day and then you have seasons like in 2018 where they start off like on like a massive winning streak Mm -hmm. Um, you know obviously we're not going to mention who the Mets manager was back then because he's the worst Um, but uh you know, these things are like, it's either this like optimism, but there's also this like undercurrent of like yeah. anxiety. This is like, going to go horribly mm-hmm. wrong. Yep. This yeah. is going to go horribly yep. wrong. Like what can go wrong and when is it going to go wrong? Um, yeah. But it's, so it's like this, like, it's like the devil and God inside you, right? Just like, like arm mm-hmm. wrestling of like, of like this really like, like uh, blind optimism and, and like, knowing that like you've seen this story before um, well, it's, not... it's completely built into the Mets identity or at least that's the angle that that Gordon takes in this book um it's it's really interesting how he sort of like uh are we freezing right now no you're are good. we good okay all right okay um it's really interesting how he just like takes you know the cast of characters that started the Mets and tells just like the wacky crazy things about them like you know we all know bill shea who is credited for bringing the mets to new york but i mean the way he did it was incredible he basically blackmailed the league along with like branch ricky and some other people to like technically set up another league to compete with mlb but they had no intention of doing that they just wanted to expand (laughs) um like they had zero intention of actually bringing baseball players onto a field in a, in a league that wasn't major league baseball. Um, <laughs> and so like, you know, Bill Shea with his cast of characters were, you know, blackmailing MLB into expanding. And then, so now you get uh, the American league got like the angels and the twins. Um, and then the national league got the Mets and uh, the Astros. Mm-hmm. And so, um, and so like, just that story alone you could write a book about, but mm. there's so many of them within the book as well. 
um, you know, there's a whole chapter about Casey Stengel. There's a whole mm-hmm. chapter about um, who's who's credited in his eyes to be the original Met, Joan Whitney Payson, mm-hmm. uh, who was the first owner of the Mets. Mm-hmm. Um, and she had been a, um, a huge Giants fan. She bought a stake, a minority stake in the Giants and was the lone vote to prevent them from leaving New York um, mm-hmm. in that in that boardroom, which was which is incredible to think about. Yeah, um, I mean, completely changes like you know, like the trajectory of 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 the franchise if you think about mm-hmm. it. You know, um, so I'm looking at the, I'm looking at this picture of the book, and it is so funny. it's mr matt for you guys listening at home it's mr matt sitting in like the field level of city field with just like his baseball head like in his palms (laughs) (laughs) and that's that's like enough for me to like want to read this book um so I recommend the, it. The whole title of the book is So Many Ways to Lose the Amazing True Story of the New York Mets, the best worst team in sports. Yes. Uh, yeah, I forgot great, to mention that. Yeah. Which is great. Um, and Barnes & Noble gave it a 5 out of 5, as did Walmart. So if you rely mm. on Walmart ratings for a book, <laughs> <laughs> then this one is for you. But <laughs> Talk about the best worst. Yeah. <laughs> I hope uh, I definitely trust Walmart more than Oprah's book club. I'll tell you that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, nah, I'm just kidding. Um, but uh, yeah, I do. Uh, I do want to highlight one particular uh, because we're the Mets legends, you know. Yeah, of course. Um, podcast. I do want to mention one legend in particular, Marv uh, Marv Thornberry. <laughs> so he, this guy was incredible. Um, he was a first baseman who couldn't field. He uh, was traded for, with um, like involved in the trade was the very first player that the Mets uh, drafted. For some reason, I didn't write that down. I can't remember his name. Um, but oh, his name was, was Mike Chilcott. Is that him? Um, could be. I I I honestly don't remember. But um, but he became a quick favorite of Joan Whitney Payson as well, um, just for his like kind of just like bumbling. Metsiness, like he just he was the Mets personified, especially in that era when they were just absolutely the worst team in baseball. He could hit a little, he he hit some home runs and he hit like 250 ish, but mm. um, but he became famous, um, kind of in and of himself, um, kind of being like the poster boy for the Mets, I guess, for being as bad as they were. And it was just kind of like a, like a joke, uh, you know, the Mets were really laughed at a lot um, because of how bad they were. At one point he was in a commercial with people like Rodney Dangerfield, Dick Butkus, Deacon Jones, and some others. It was a Miller Lite commercial. And uh, you know, all of these like super famous people are like walking out of the bar and, um, and then, you know, the camera settles on (laughs) Marv Thornberry and his line in the commercial is, I still don't know why they wanted me in this commercial. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that's so funny dude. i would love that like today like, it's, like yeah I would, that'd be like if the mets put like i don't know like Louis mike baxter Norman. yeah oh, yeah, yeah, mike yeah. Baxter. <laughs> someone that's just like mets fans like but like are not stars by any means right i could be wrong about marv thronberry but um 
I think that I read one time that like he hit a triple. I could be <laughs> yes. wrong about this. Mm-hmm. Yep. He hit yep. a triple, <laughs> and they called him out when they appealed the play because they said he didn't he didn't uh, touch the base. And I, whoever the manager was at the time, what came out Stangle. to argue? Yeah, yeah. And, yeah. Whoever, and then so Casey Stangle comes out to argue. And the third base coach is like. I wouldn't argue the call. Like he didn't touch second base either, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> or something like that. So, yeah, uh, just like I think that that like epitomizes um, epitomizes uh, Marv Marv Thornberry and and especially like the Mets of that era. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Also, I was looking at their first their first round picks from that era, and their first pick in 1965 was Les Rohr. Uh, mm-hmm. who is a pitcher, and Steve Chilcott, who is a catcher. And he was the yeah. first overall pick in 1966, never made it to the majors. And do you guys know who was picked directly after him in this, with the second pick? In 66? No yeah. Uh, I'm going to – was it Reggie Jackson? Yep. Oh, man. Wow. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Kansas City Athletics took Reggie Jackson with the second overall pick that year. Gosh. And like uh. the, like the rest of the draft was like okay like you had a couple all stars but he's the only player from that draft that made it to the Hall of Fame the only player from that draft that made mm. it to the Hall of Fame and the Mets selected Pass Steve, on him. Steve <laughs> the Mets selected Steve Chilcott who never even made it to the major leagues uh, yeah. and I know there was like some issues I don't know if it talk and maybe it'll talk about it in your book I don't know but I know there were some issues with with like the Mets front office or whoever the general manager like not um liking reggie jackson and that's like why they didn't pick him but like mm. so like imagine like the mets had reggie jackson on like that 69 team and like mm-hmm. even he could have even made it to the 86 team like he played until the 1987 yeah. he so. also he also right. wouldn't have been a barrier to them winning in 73 when he won world series mvp against them true Ooh, that's a great point oh i don't that, that 73 world series is uh is one that i don't really know too much about but with that being said, Mike, with and kind of segueing off of what Mike Jay was talking about the book, the mm-hmm. Mets have had quite a few players come through Queens that were Hall of Famers, but with other teams, not the Mets. And uh, you know, in 1970, in 1973, you had Jackson against the Mets, but you also had Willie Mays on that team, mm-hmm. who was a Met at the latter portion of his career, yeah. and along with Marv Marv Thornberry. Uh, in the '60s, you know, you did have some other uh, future Hall of yeah. Famers. So, um, most notably, hear... Willie Mays. I would yes. say, yes, Willie Mays yes. for sure. Uh, yes. Let's hear a little bit about that, Mike. Yeah, sure. So, you know, I am a, I am a child of a Brooklyn Dodger fan, so I've heard plenty of stories about that time. Obviously, the Mets themselves were kind of birthed from the Dodgers and Giants leaving, um, and so you know, when they were first kind of coming into the league sort of a way to bring in players as they wanted to bring in all these former Dodgers and Giants. And so you had some non-Hall of Famers too, like uh, Roger Craig, Gil Hodges, who a lot of people argue should be in the Hall of Fame. But, you know, guys too, like Duke Snyder, who of course is a great Brooklyn Dodger. He's in the Hall of Fame. He was on the Mets for a bit. Um, And then, of course, Willie Mays later on is also in that category. Uh, Mm -hmm. But even, you know, even not a Dodger or Giant, but Yogi Berra, he was also on the Mets very briefly in that in the uh, early 60s, too. Mm -hmm. Um, And and of course, we have to mention Warren Spahn, who who was also on the Mets. And I believe he was like, I believe he might still hold the record for oldest Met pitcher to win a game. I could be wrong on that, but I think that's him. Um, but yeah, they certainly, especially in that early period, they had a lot of guys who 
Um, really made their mark with other teams, mostly with the Dodgers and Giants, which is other New York teams. Um, and then, of course, we also have to mention Richie Ashburn, who was the first Mets All-Star, um, who had a great Hall of Fame career with the Phillies before finishing it off with the Mets. Mm-hmm. Um, and there have been a couple more, you know, as we've gone through the years. Certainly some, it's kind of, it's, with most cases, it's guys who were great elsewhere and came to the Mets towards the end of their career. But you have someone like Nolan Ryan, who started off with the Mets, was traded away in just one of the worst trades in baseball history ever. Um, and, <laughs> yeah. and went on to have a Hall of Fame career after that. Um, but for the most part, it's guys who, you know, did stuff, who were who made their mark earlier in their career and then came to the Mets. Even, you know, some more modern names. Roberto Alomar certainly comes to mind. Yeah. Uh, Pedro Martinez, of course, he comes to mind. Mm-hmm. Tom Glavin, even though he eventually went back to the Braves, he comes to mind. So, mm-hmm. so uh, <laughs> Nolan Ryan's kind of really the, the one that sticks out there in terms of Hall of Famers that got away from them. Yeah, yeah. I feel like it's like the Mets, like you said, like it's like they either have these guys that like they get rid of prematurely you know, like Nolan Ryan. And I don't know if it's, if it's just, like, Mets, like, typical Mets, like, excuse or whatever. Um, I've heard Nolan Ryan didn't really love playing for the Mets. I, like, I heard that he, he, you know, he's someone, he's from Texas. I heard he didn't really like yeah. playing for the Mets. I don't know how true that is, because I've also heard some, like, um, other, like, things where it's, like, he did like playing for the Mets and didn't want to be traded. But even still, it's, like, he was on that 69 team, Um and they traded him in 71, and then he goes on and throws seven no-hitters, uh, <laughs> right? He, he threw seven no-hitters, yeah, which is an MLB record. Like, arguably the best pitcher that ever existed. It should really be called the Nolan Ryan Award and not the Cy Young Award. Hot take. Um, hot take there. But <laughs> I don't know if you, guys, if you guys have seen the documentary Fastball. Uh, it's no. like – there's one on the knuckleball, which is really interesting too, but – there's one on the fastball and it talks about just like the history of the fastball and like breaking down how like they're, they, they kind of go back and look at like pitchers from the past where like the radar guns weren't as accurate. And like, you know, the mound was a little bit different and stuff like that. You know, they, they, they knocked the, the mound down and stuff. So they take all this into consideration, but they basically like, like definitively like concluded that Nolan Ryan has thrown like the fastest pitch in MLB history, like even more than like, for all this Chapman, like, like they, they like think that like Ryan, like by like reconstructing the pitch or whatever, that he threw like 106 miles an hour. Um, so, and that, and this was, and this was a guy that like didn't even pitch in like a power pitching arrow. Like he, like, Mm -hmm. like, you know, you have every guy can throw a hundred now. Like it's, it's kind of like a rarity if you don't. Um, and a lot of pitchers, like you don't see a lot of finesse pitchers anymore, but like, Back then, like, that's pretty incredible. Um, but, yeah, I mean, Nolan Ryan, he pitched for the Mets in 66, then 68 to 71, goes on to have an amazing career with the Angels, the Astros, and the Rangers. Um, Warren Spahn only played half a season with the Mets, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, he he uh, spent the first 25 years of his career with the Milwaukee Braves, the Boston Braves, and then the Milwaukee Braves. Um and then, uh, so he goes to the Mets, uh, and this is from uh, just like a quick excerpt from his Wikipedia. It says, following the 1964 season, after 25 years of the franchise, Spawn was sold by the Braves to the Mets. Braves manager Bobby Bragan predicted, Spawny won't win six games with the Mets. 
Spawn, <laughs> Spawn took on the dual role of pitcher and pitching coach. He won four and lost 12, at which point the Mets put Spawn on waivers. Uh, and then he was released. Ultimately, he signed with the Giants. He appeared in his final major league game with them at age 44. And uh, so for that year, he won seven games, his last in the majors. Uh, and his number was retired later that year by the Braves. Um, it's kind of funny to think about, like, having guys like him and, like, Duke Snyder and, like, Willie Mays' Mets. Like, I remember, like, as a kid, like, seeing them in, like, the uniforms of the Mets, and you're just like, wow, this is looks really weird. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but, totally. But, yeah, I mean, it's like the Mets either get to get have these guys, like, before they go on to, like – have major uh, like world uh, hall of fame careers or like they get them like like we said like in Robbie Alomar in Eddie Murray like in Ricky Henderson Ricky Henderson like Jose Bautista like if he makes it to the hall of fame um I, I don't know Gary yeah. Sheffield Gary Sheffield yeah, another one Gary yeah Sheffield. so it's like you know and even now it's like I don't know if they have anybody on their active roster now who's like who fits in that category like do we have anybody that's really past their prime anymore I can't really think of anybody. I can't think of anyone yeah, either. No. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I would argue, I would argue Edwin Diaz is past his prime, but that's <laughs> he's twenty six. Yeah. <laughs> that's why you don't trade for a reliever, folks. Especially not your top outfield. <laughs> but uh, yeah, you know, so we got to get going uh, in a minute. But um, you know, Mike J, thanks for joining us as always. Um, or not as always, this is your first time joining us. <laughs> I hope Thanks. I'll be back. Yeah. Don't fire me. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> You'll certainly be back. Thank you for joining us for the first time. Mike R., always a pleasure, my friend. Absolutely. Um, and uh, stay tuned for more uh, Mets Legends cast content in the future. And uh, stay tuned for um, some more exciting stuff in general. Um, you can Edwin find Diaz, us- over the hill. Edwin <laughs> Diaz, over the hill. That's our goal prediction for um, find us on Twitter as always at Mets Legends and for our podcast at Mets Legends Cast. Um, have a pleasant good evening, everybody, and uh, hopefully the Mets play an actual baseball game sometime this century. <laughs> <laughs> See you guys. See you guys. <laughs>